I know that many of you tonight may have heard the announcements and thought, wow, we've got a lot of announcements. One thing that that does reflect is the fact that this is a very active congregation, staying busy in a number of different ways. And I will tell you there's another thing that you didn't get to hear about, and that is the planning for the Bible Bowl took place this afternoon. We'll be hosting the first one, the first Sunday in October. Uh, and I think it's a wonderful privilege that you and I have in so many different areas to be able to serve a magnificent God and to be a, a part of the wonderful body of Christ and to be able to serve Him. Tonight, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Psalms chapter 39. The Psalms have some tremendous lessons in them. Ever so often as I am sitting in my office and I'm trying to contemplate what I need to preach for the next several months, as I begin to try to look at topics of what I have preached on in the past and some that should be in the future, occasionally you get to the point where you feel like, well, I preached on that, I preached on something else, and so I need to focus my mind on something that the congregation needs. I always go to the book of Psalms. And once you start reading, you realize that there are some usually profound ideas captured in short, memorable sayings. In fact, how many of us have spent our time going through psalms like the 23rd Psalm or the 100th Psalm, and, and we've tried to explore all of the ideas that are found in them? Well, several months ago, Sister Juanita Oliver come up and she said, Brother Tony, have you ever preached a lesson from Psalms 39.7, Lord, for what do I wait? And I said, not that I know of, but I said, I will, and this is that lesson. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take Psalms 39, and we're going to explore it in its context. And my goal and my plan in mind is to be able to let you out soon enough that if you want to go hear a great lesson by Brother Don Blackwell, then you'll be able to have time to do that. Uh, since their services meet at 7.30 tonight. Let's talk about a silent tongue, a sense of time, and seeking deliverance from transgressions. This is a beautiful psalm. As David opens this psalm, he says in verses 1 through 3, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. You know, there's a proper time for everything. There's a time for you and I to do a number of things, and Solomon captures this very well in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, and he says, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then he goes through a whole list of things like tearing and sowing, and he gets down to verse 7, he says, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. For some of us, the time to keep silence is much harder than the time to speak. There's a time when you and I ought not to say anything. And David recognized that. 
Solomon later captures it really well in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. He says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Then immediately in the next verse he says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Someone says, well, is there a contradiction there? Absolutely not. There is a time in which a person ought not to answer a fool. Whenever you would do so, you would make yourself look like a fool. On the other hand, there is a time to answer foolish doctrines, and that is when a man can be shown that his ways are not right in God's eyes. One reason for David keeping silent, he said, is while the wicked are before me. And the truth is, is that there are people who can provoke us to say things we ought not to say. If I were to ask everybody to raise their hand, and I'm not, how many of you have said something that you wished you hadn't said, but the reason why you said it was because somebody before you was provoking you, saying something that they ought not to have said themselves? Well, James chapter 1, verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. My voice sometimes, if it is elevated, if it's angry, if it contains words that hurt and cut, may not be the right thing to say. So there's a time to be quiet. Another reason why David might have also wanted to be quiet while the wicked were before him was because he recognized that they would take what he said and twist it and make it mean something that he never intended. Sometimes I scratch my head when I listen to the news media and I hear somebody speak and then I hear what the news media say they said. They twisted their words. In Psalm 35 verse 21, David recognized there were people looking for that. He said, they also opened their mouth wide against me and said, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. We've been looking for you to make a mistake, David. Chapter 56 verse 5, all day they twist my words. All their thoughts against me are for evil. They just look for an opportunity to take something I've said And so David said, there's a time to be quiet. But sometimes bottled words just have to come out. David said, I even kept my mouth from speaking good, which indicates that there's there's even times when it's not even always the best to say something when you could say something good because people may not take it that way. But Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, he says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him anymore, or speak in his name anymore. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding back, and I could not. I want to speak. I've got to speak. Jeremiah said, I didn't want to, but I was compelled by God. One of the most interesting passages to me is found in the book of Job. When you read the book of Job, and I encourage you to read it as much as you possibly can, reading as much as you can because Job speaks and then you have Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar who are just constantly you know, 
berating him and suggesting, it's all your fault, Job, it's all your fault. And then this young guy comes in whose name is Elihu, and Elihu has listened to Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar and said, you didn't figure it out, did you? I'm smarter than all of you guys. Now I'm paraphrasing. Here's what he said in Job 32, verse 16. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Well, that's a presumptuous young man, isn't he? To think I can talk so... I've got something to say the rest of you hadn't figured out yet. Well, David, in the first part of Psalms 39, is saying sometimes we need a silent tongue. But the second thing he talks about in verses 4 through 6 is a proper sense of time. Now listen carefully as we read through this. Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best is but vapor. Surely every man walks about as a shadow, Surely they busy themselves in vain. He who heaps up riches and does not know he who will gather them. When you start looking at what he's saying here, he's in search of a sense of time. What's my life about? How long am I going to live? And when I get to the end of my life and I've amassed a a little fortune or a larger fortune or whatever I've been able to acquire while on this earth. Who am I going to leave it to? Solomon explores all those ideas in the book of Ecclesiastes, but David is saying, Lord, what about my days? How do you view them? How do I view them? He said, for me, they're just like a vapor. And he says, just like hand breaths. You know, take the width of your hand there. It just seems like my years are just like the width of my hand. They've come, they've gone, they've come, they've gone. Man needs to take notice of the length of his days. And you say, what do you mean by that? How long do you have to do what you need to do? You know, I've got projects in my head that I know will never be accomplished. At least I don't think they will. I've got things that I would love to do, but I know that unless the Lord gives me an exceptionally long life, And a bright mind for a long time, these are just not going to happen. So what do you do with that? Psalms 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Some things are more important than others. Whether or not you are able to acquire a number of secular degrees, or whether or not you're able to accomplish a certain amount of things in this world may not matter at all. 
But I can tell you one thing that is important is whether or not you are a child of God. In James 4, verses 13 through 16, here's a man. He says, come, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and we'll spend a year there. We'll buy and sell and we'll make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will both do this and that. You see, the problem in all of this is that man is not taking God into account when he tries to measure a sense of time. John 9 and verse 4, Jesus recognized his days were few on this earth. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming in which no man can work. You see, the truth is, tonight, August the 14th, 2016, at about 6.30 in the evening, these minutes are just passing away. One less minute you have, one less hour you have to be able to do something meaningful in your life. Will you let this opportunity pass? Because there's going to come a time when you are not able to effect any change in your life. It may be that you lose your mental faculties. It may be that you have been ushered into eternity. Man needs to think. What will man do with what he has Luke chapter 12, verse 16. This ground of a rich man brought forth plentifully. What will I do? I'll build bigger barns to store my crops. He said, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have much laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and marry. God said to him, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose things will those be that you have provided? Exactly the same thing that David says here in Psalms chapter 39. But now, very quickly, let's focus on verses 7 through 13. Very, very valuable words. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth. Now listen carefully. Because you did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct a man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away. No more. In this context, David is suffering the punishment for his sins. In fact, if you really want to look, and I would encourage you to do so, 
is to recognize that Psalms 39 is in some ways connected to Psalms 38. Psalms 38 is considered one of the penitential psalms where David expresses his sorrow for his sins. And what he is saying is, God, you have punished me. He said in verse 9, you did it. In verse 11, he said, you are correcting me. That's because God loves man. But he's seeking relief from God's hand. The very one that was punishing him is the one to whom he's saying, please give me some relief. Look with me at Psalms 38, verses 1 through 8. Great commentary. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I bow down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Here's a man pouring out his heart and saying, God, I deserve what I get. And yet I am struggling with a burden that is too heavy for me. You see, what David is asking is for God to deliver him. That's what he's begging for. Now go back to verse 7. And then he asks the question, For what then am I waiting? What am I looking for? What am I seeking for? He had the answer. He just needed to respond. He said, My hope is in you, O God. You're the one I trust in. When I get to Psalm 130, listen to David's voice. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. At the very same time that David looks at himself and sees the heaviness of God's punishment, David says, but I know the answer. The answer is God. The very same God that punishes is the God who delivers. And David recognizes the God who punishes me punishes me because he loves me. He punishes me to try to correct me. In Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
verse 71. It was good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. David said, now I look and I recognize, for, for what am I waiting? God is here. God is merciful. What does he expect from me? He expects repentance. And one could easily ask the question today, Lord, for what do I wait? Lord, what am I waiting? I look at my sins. I see that I bear the consequences of those sins. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a better time? Are you waiting for a better opportunity? Are you waiting for an opportunity when everything will just be perfect and right? It'll be just the great sermon that's been delivered and there will be a song that just moves our heart. Is it going to be when somebody comes up and says to you, are you going to respond to the gospel tonight? You see, the truth is, there's no better time than the present. If you look with regards to God, it's just like Isaiah chapter 5 verse 4 what more could have been done to my vineyard than I have done in it? What more could God have done for you? He gave His only begotten Son to die on a cross for you. What more could God have done? He gave you a word to motivate and encourage you. What more could God have done? He's given His church to provide encouragement and lifting up. I want to end with one last verse. The man who was Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, had gone to the city of Damascus. He had been fasting. He had been praying. And he was in search of deliverance from his sins. Ananias walks in and he says, And now why are you waiting. Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We've got good folks here in the audience tonight who need to obey the gospel. And the question of Psalms 39 verse 7, Lord, for what do I wait? David had the answer you have the answer as well. If you're a Christian and you're looking for deliverance because of the sins that are in your life, Lord, for what do I wait? Would you come while we stand and sing?